This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, February 14th, 2024. I'm Caleb Brown. In Heroes of Progress, author Alexander Hammond traces the powerful contributions of dozens of people throughout history, those people who delivered profound advances in human well-being. Perhaps not surprisingly to Americans, one of those heroes of progress is the great Frederick Douglass. We discussed the contributions of Frederick Douglass and some of the other heroes of progress. Let's start with something broad here. How hard is it to narrow down to a mere few dozen heroes of progress in the long history of humanity? Well, it was certainly quite difficult. Although the first thing I should say that this book is far from all-encompassing. But what did help is a fairly narrow definition of what a hero of progress is. And I have defined that as someone who has saved or significantly improved the lives of millions of people. It could be anyone from a scientist that saved millions of lives thanks to a vaccine, an agronomist who created a crop that fed billions of hungry people, or a thinker whose ideas changed public policy or brought about a more enlightened and just society. And because we are recording this in concert with February 14th, uh, it is the birthday, the chosen birthday of one of the heroes of progress in your book, Frederick Douglass. Why does he make the cut? Well, he makes the cut because the impact that he had on his kind of relentless advocacy for equality under the law for Black Americans really helped shift public opinion against slavery in the United States. And he had an immense influence on both President Abraham Lincoln and then later uh, President Andrew Johnson on enacting um, the Reconstruction Amendments, which for the first time provided rights to millions of African Americans. We're talking about the 13th, 14th, 15th Amendments? That's correct, yes. The 13th Amendment, uh, which outlawed slavery, of course. The 14th, providing citizenship and equal rights to Black Americans. And then the 15th, that prohibited federal and state governments from denying a citizen the right to vote based on race. You know, this was uh, somebody who understood better than you or I, and probably mo- certainly almost all Americans, the nature of what it is to own yourself, because for a good portion of his life, he didn't. Yes, absolutely. Um, from childhood, for almost three decades, he was uh, in servitude. And I should say, actually, we're, we're celebrating his birthday on the 14th of February. But of course, we don't actually know when his birthday was. And he retrospectively chose the 14th of February, partly because as a memory, he had of his mother calling him her little Valentine. And he only saw his mother a few times uh, growing up. As with many slaves, they were separated when he was just an infant and lived on a plantation uh, 12 miles away. So they only met each other a few times. He was born in 1818, and it wasn't until 1838 that he eventually escaped north thanks to a woman that he fell in love with and later married. And Douglas was not just influential with regard to slavery in the United States. He was an activist on behalf of women's suffrage. He's extremely well regarded in Ireland for a lot of the the travel that he did there, uh, speaking and inspiring people there as well. 
Yeah, um, this is a really interesting part of his life. After he escaped north to New York, he quite quickly became a prominent member of the abolitionist movement, and his oratory skills were exceptional. And before too long, he began touring around the northeastern and midwestern USA. And it got to the point that he was so well-known that many people actually began to doubt uh, his story because they believed that a former slave could not be such an articulate orator. And that meant in 1845, he eventually uh, wrote his first book, Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass, an American Slave. It became an immediate bestseller, rocketed him to fame. But at that time, he was still being hunted by uh, slave hunters. So he was far from safe. This newfound fame really made it quite dangerous for him to be in America. So then he began a speaking tour of Ireland and the United Kingdom. Um, and his tour was really successful. Um, he later said about his time in the UK and Ireland that he found himself regarded and treated at every turn with a kindness and difference paid to white people. And that he was not seen as a color, but as a man. And the people in Ireland and the UK actually uh, said he shouldn't return. He should, he should just stay safely in the UK. But he insisted, knowing there were millions of enslaved fellow African-Americans back in the United States, as well as his beloved wife, who plays a really big role in his story. So in return, he insisted on going back. The people in the UK and Ireland actually raised enough money so that when he returned, he could buy his freedom. And in 1847, when he returned, that was among the first things he did. A lot of the other people that you talk about in this book, their contributions are just dramatically different. The book is not out yet, but it will be soon. I believe it's available for pre-order today for those who would like to go ahead and do so. Tell me about some of the other people who are mentioned here that you chronicle in your book and you know, just the the diversity of their contributions, many of which most people have no idea about. Yeah, I certainly will. And I'm, I should say, even though our discussion today is about someone who's far more well-known, especially in America, um, a lot of the people profiled in the book are relatively unknown, and few are aware of their names and the contribution they've had to really improving the world. Um, and it's really diverse. We've got scientists, innovators. We've even got some people in from the Soviet military or agronomists or other public intellectuals who wrote books. And just, just to give you a taste of what we've got, we've got someone like Fritz Haber and Karl Bosch as an example. One is a German scientist and the other is a German engineer who created the Haber-Bosch process, which efficiently converts nitrogen um, from the air into ammonia, which can be used as fertilizer. And this was super important because at the beginning of the 20th century, the world was facing a real fertilizer crisis. Depleting reserves of guano, which is effectively bird poop, was quickly running out. And if a solution hadn't been found, thanks to these men, a global famine would, would have followed. And just their contribution um, has been predicted to have saved hundreds of millions, if not over a billion lives. And that was back at the time when the world's population was more than a quarter of what it is today. Another example is uh, Willius uh, Haviland Carrier, and he was an American engineer who created the first air conditioning unit, which may sound a bit trivial at first glance, but this really is a lifesaver in much of the world. It not only increases economic productivity since its invention in 
its introduction in whatever country across the world to this day, it really correlates with a decrease in deaths caused in the heat, in the, in the summer heat. And as someone who's been to a lot of developing nations and warm developing nations, it's really the first thing you see as countries begin to economically improve their situation is they get air conditioning in order to save lives and boost productivity. And just to give you one more personal, where we can get, certainly go into more, is one of my favorites is a man called Maurice Hilleman. He's one of my favorites. So few people have heard of him, yet he's been so important. He's said to have been the medical scientist who saved more lives in the 20th century than any other. And he was an American, uh, an American microbiologist who developed more than 40, 40, 40 life-saving vaccines in his life. And of the 14 vaccines recommended in the current schedules, he developed eight of them. So the 14 vaccines are recommended specifically kind of for children as they grow up. He developed eight of those. One really fascinating story, which you have to read the book to learn more. But in 1963, his daughter actually became ill with the mumps. So what Hilleman decided to do, he quickly drove to the lab, picked up the necessary equipment to cultivate materials from his daughter's infection. And then soon after, he then had the vaccine for mumps. And someone later looked back, and as we're on the Cato Daily podcast, I'm sure you'll appreciate this. Um, a colleague of Hilleman remarked, uh, today's regulation would have precluded that from ever happening. So that's quite a cool one. But we've got plenty more, completely unheard, and who honestly, without the heroes in this book, most of us wouldn't be alive today. And if we were, uh, life would be far poorer, far hungrier, and far less enlightened about the world around us. Alexander Hammond is author of the forthcoming Heroes of Progress, available for pre-order now. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please. And thank you for listening.